pray to Lord Jesus, thank you for uh, the opportunity we have to worship this morning. Father, I know that we come from uh, <clears throat> all kinds of different weeks and uh, all kinds of different challenges. Lord, I pray that, uh, well, first of all, Lord, I know that we're not here by chance, but that you divinely have placed us here this morning because you have something you want to say to us. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to uh, set aside any distractions. Lord, I pray that you would speak loudly to us, Lord, and we would have ears to hear. And, uh, Lord, thank you for the proofs that we're going to look at through Scripture, but at the same time, the, uh, the faith that it takes to step into a relationship with you. And, Father, I pray that you challenge us with that here this morning. In your precious name, Jesus, amen. Uh, with that, let me, uh, let me tell you thank you. Uh, yesterday... We, uh, we were able to touch, I think, close to 800 people. We took the candy bars out, and uh, I think we gave out a little over 300 candy bars to people, wishing them happy Valentine's Day. That's something we've done for a couple of years now and uh, is unique here at Awaken. We, want to, uh, we say that we want to be a church outside its walls, and I've heard some of you say we, want to, we, we like Awaken because of that, that, that idea. And uh, so thank you to those that came out yesterday. To others that weren't able to come out, I want to encourage you. We passed out close to 500 of these yesterday just on doors. And I want to challenge our congregation to something here this morning. There's uh, stacks of 30 sitting on different tables around the room. I want to encourage you to do something. I want to encourage you to pick up a stack of 30 and to do what's called a 30 and 30. And that is you pray through your neighborhood specifically and you say, God, I want you to impact my neighborhood with the gospel. And as you do that, you just place these cards on whatever doors you believe God is leading you to place them on. It takes you about 30 minutes. I've done it tons of times. But uh, as we, the, the thing we have to understand, as we reach out as a church, God impacts our lives. Okay? And, and I am challenging us to this as a church because I have seen the impact in my life as I reach out to others and share with others the impact that God has had in my life. So that's just a simple way to do that. I, again, encourage you to pick up a stack of 30 and pray through your neighborhood, placing these on the doors that God would challenge you to. Uh, because the questions that we're dealing with here this morning are, uh, are unique questions that a lot of people struggle through. And we talked about last week, how do we look at God and say, you know, how, do we, how can we tell that God is real? And if you're, if you're following along in this series, there's actually little daily devotionals, about two pages each, that I encourage you to pick up one of these books. And uh, you can grab these in the lobby. I encourage you to pick up one of these books because what is in this book is stuff that we have been talking about here on Sunday mornings. And the stuff that I, I don't have enough time to cover everything that's in this book. Okay, So I encourage you to grab one of these books follow along with the messages we've been doing. You can actually follow along on our Facebook page too as we're mentioning snippets out of each of those daily devotions. Okay? But last week we talked about how do we know, how can we tell that God is real? Okay? This morning I want to look at a very important question and that question is how do we know that uh, the scripture is reliable? All right, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to pull out your Bible and I hope that you have one. If you don't have one, you can actually grab one on the info table on the way back, but go to the table of contents. All right? I want you to go to the table of contents. As you're going there, I'm curious how many of you have ever felt powerless? How many of you have ever felt powerless? If you are a parent in this room, I guarantee you have felt powerless. All right? I have, uh, I have four little kids at home. And uh, the oldest is in first grade. The youngest is uh, not even a year yet. And we have felt powerless at times. I remember, as, uh, I remember growing up, I have a younger sister, and, and she would say some of the craziest things, not me. I never said crazy things as a kid. I know you didn't either. You guys were the good kid. It was your brother and sister who were the, the trouble kids, right? Anyways, my sister went to school first grade, and I had already had this teacher, uh, and the teacher liked me. Well, the teacher, after my sister's first grade year, didn't like either of us anymore. And the reason, I think, for that is kids sometimes say the craziest things, right? Well, how many of you women wash your earrings in, like, a little thing of alcohol, like rubbing alcohol? Yeah? Okay. 
Well, my sister went to school, and she thought she was understanding things, and actually she was understanding from her first grade mentality. She told my first grade teacher that my mother was an alcoholic because she washed her earrings in alcohol. All right. So that teacher had a whole totally different view of my family for the rest of my elementary years. Now, those of you that have kids can, I'm sure, sympathize with that. My son, just this week, he's four. I went to pick him up from preschool, and I walk to the door. They say, Malachi, Daddy's here. He usually runs up and uh, says, Hi, Daddy. Oh, this time. He started to run. He turned back around and went and kissed one of the boys, then ran back up to me and said, Okay, let's go. What are you doing, Malachi? I looked at the teacher. Has he been a problem today? No. Okay, just being a boy. Um, so kids do crazy things. They say crazy things that just make you feel powerless, don't they? Well, I know at the same time we can look at this book and we can almost feel powerless, can't we? We can look at this book and we can say, I don't understand anything that's written in here. I want to help you today better understand how this book is laid out and to show you that actually there is a lot of power in this book. So my goal today is to show you that this book is reliable and to also show you that this book is powerful. All right. So like I said, look at the table of contents. And you're going to see this book is actually made up of uh, 66 books in total. So it's not just one book, it's actually 66 books. And in the Old Testament there are 39 books. Okay, 39 books in what's called the Old Testament. In the New Testament there's 27 books. Now I'm going to fly through a bunch of information here real quick because I believe it's important for us to understand if we're going to understand this book. Alright, so first of all if you look at the Old Testament you're going to see there's, like I said, 30, uh, 30, 39 books. But in there, the books are split up in certain sections. And that's what you have to understand, because it's very hard to open this book and read straight through. How many of you guys have ever read straight through this book? Yeah, it's very difficult to do. All right? But I'm going to show you why. The reason is it's split up into different books, and you have to understand why different books are there. So if you look, the first five books there, Genesis through Deuteronomy, those five books are actually books of, uh, of, of history. Okay? Those are books of history. They, they help us understand what God was saying. It actually goes through Esther itself where you see books of history. So Genesis through Esther are books of history. If you look at Job through Song of Solomon, how many of you guys have ever read Song of Solomon? You perverts. You need to read Song of Solomon if, uh, if you don't understand that. Um, those five books are actually books of poetry. Okay? So Genesis through Esther are books of history, and actually Genesis through Deuteronomy were written by a guy named Moses, and it's actually, besides Job, they say Genesis and through Deuteronomy were actually written sometime around 1400 B.C. They say Job is probably the oldest book, and it was written around 1900 B.C. Okay? And so this book spans, in its authorship, 2,000 plus years. 2,000 plus years it spans in its authorship. Now, if you uh, finish out here, it says, Isaiah through Malachi are actually books of prophets. One thing you have to understand, if you look at, and we, we don't have time to look at all these verses, you can write these down, look later, or you can uh, follow along on a smartphone app because I put them in there for you this morning. Matthew 7:12, Jesus says that everything in this book is written off the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. So he mentions all three of those categories in that verse. He says, all of the scripture is written off the law, the history of what happened. Okay, It's written off of the, the, the psalms, the poems, the poetry of the day, those five books I mentioned to you. And it's also written off of the prophets. Now, to, to, to show you that, what is interesting is uh, I've got some, some other books here. Historian. There's a historian named Josephus. Who actually wrote during who actually wrote during Jesus' day, and he wrote about some of this stuff. And he says in his writings that those writings of the Old Testament, he says that the prophets ended sometime around the time of Nehemiah. Alright? And so he says then that Malachi was the last of the prophets to write. And that's why 
Malachi, if you look in the Old Testament, is the last of the Old Testament. That's coming from a historian of the time. Okay. Now, what is interesting, there was a 400-year period where there was no scripture that was written until so, so the time of Malachi, until the time Jesus walks on the scene, there was no scripture written. And it says that the time of the prophets ended around that time of Malachi, like Josephus uh, referred to. That time is known as the Apocrypha. I actually have a copy of that right here. The Catholic Church actually throws this book into Scripture. The Protestant Church takes it out of Scripture because there was no proof that there were any prophets writing during that time. And it goes back to that verse in Matthew that I showed you that says all the Scripture is based on the, uh, the prophets and the Psalms in the history of that time. Does that make sense? Okay. I'm flying through stuff here because I want to get to the point of this all at the end. So that's the Old Testament. If you look at the New Testament, it is also split up into different books. If you look at Matthew through Acts, those books are actually New Testament books of history too. So they record what happened during Jesus' day, Matthew through Acts. If you look at uh, Romans and you go through uh, actually 3 John there, those books are letters that were written to different churches or different places, most of which were written by the Apostle Paul and most of which were written to church plants. That's why I love these letters because I love what God does through church plants were evidence of that. Then if you look at Revelation, that then is a book of prophecy. So the New Testament is split up into threes as well. The books of history, the letters that were written by the leaders of that day, and then a book of prophecy in the New Testament as well. And so you have to understand how some of that is broken up. Now, I don't have time to go into all the detail of that. What I encourage you to do, if you go to our website, you can actually link there through our YouVersion app. You can sign up to go through a class called Walk Through the Bible. And uh, the guy that teaches that, John, does a great job of helping us through this whole story of Scripture, how everything ties together, and the story that you often refer me to hear me refer to from up front he's able to link all of scripture to as it does so that is where the bible came from all right now i want to show you how the bible has been copied and translated so basically the question is is this reliable now i believe that we had some slides but i don't believe they're working right no okay um, I will post some slides later this week on our Facebook page that will show you these things I'm talking about. But if one of the things that you can look at, they measured through history how reliable a text was. And you can look through history books to find how reliable a text is based upon how many manuscripts they could find that were written on that text. Does that make sense? So the number of copies, the number of manuscripts they could find. The New Testament has 24,000 manuscripts that they have found. The next closest piece of literature that they have found only has 650 manuscripts. And there, there's a nice chart. Actually, it comes from uh, this God Questions book, and I'll post it on Facebook, and if you're reading through this book, you'll come across that chart. The next closest is 650 manuscripts. The New Testament has 24,000 manuscripts that they can compare and say, how reliable is this text? And it dates all through history. Now, one of the things you have to understand, the, the Old Testament, when they would copy the, the, the word in here, they didn't have like a printing press they drove up to and said, here, print me a thousand of these. They had what were called scribes who sat and they would copy this. That was their job. That's what they did. But you have to understand something. They were so meticulous with it that they would count. Get this. Some of you type A people, you'll love this. They would count every letter. They would count every word. They would actually measure the letters and the spaces and the measure the columns that things were written in to make sure that all those numbers added up to what it should be. So they would measure top and bottom, across and sideways, and then count all the letters and all the words to make sure it matched. Then they would go through and read the text to make sure it matched and if there were two errors that they would find in this text, guess what they would do with it? They'd shred it up, throw it away. It's no good. Now, another thing that they would do, they were so reverent about the writing of this text that when they would write the... the God has several names in Scripture. That's one of the, the, the great things to study is all the different names God has in Scripture. 
two names, though. One is Elohim, which is God. It says God, okay? And it's more of God as the creator. The word Elohim, when they would write that word, they would actually clean their pen before they would write it, clean it again after they wrote it, out of reverence. Now get this. When they wrote God's reverent name, which is Yahweh, you guys heard the name Yahweh? And oftentimes you'll tell what that is in Scripture because it says Lord, but it's like a big capital L and then small caps after it, O-R-D. When that name was written in the Old Testament, they would actually bathe themselves to make themselves pure and clean before God before they would write his sacred name. So this Old Testament went to great lengths to write this so that it was kept purified down through the ages. And then, like I said, all, they would compare all the manuscripts that we have found through archaeological digs. They would compare those. And did they find minor discrepancies? Yeah, they did. But those minor discrepancies are actually found in your Bible. They're noted at the bottom. They'll tell you what those were. But out of all those minor discrepancies, and I think it's only 5%, out of those minor discrepancies, they say it never changed the, 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 the content of what's being said. So think about it. If I wrote a letter to somebody in here, and then you came up and you said, hey, I'm going to copy that letter to give it to my friend. The idea, the message of that letter is not going to change. You may miss a, 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 a T or miss, miss, a, miss a the or an or. You, know, you may miss something little like that, but the message is not going to change. And that's what they found through all of history, through all the archaeological digs, through the thousands of manuscripts that they found, that it hasn't changed. Now, what is interesting, you've got to know, is the scripture was kept in, in a purified place. They kept the scripture in what was called the Ark of the Covenant during Moses' day. Now, when the temple was built, and you can read about that, and John will actually talk about that in that walk through the Bible. When they built the temple, they took and transferred the scripture over to the temple, and it was kept safe there. Then, when they were exiled in 586 B.C., and I don't have time to go into the history of it, that's why, again, I encourage you to go through that class, those manuscripts all went with them. If you look in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is all written in Hebrew, except for the last part of Daniel. The reason the last part of Daniel is written in another language called Aramaic, the reason is because that is when those, those people, the Jewish people, were exported out of Israel and into the Babylonian kingdom. And so you can look at, even at history and tell that all these things line up with how scripture was written, how it was purified, how it was, uh, was reliable all through the ages based upon the number of scrolls that are written. Okay? Now, another interesting thing. This is not a textbook. All right? I'm not going to stand here and claim to you that it's a textbook. But I will tell you that this book is amazingly accurate when it comes to things of history and science. Again, I wish I had another slide I was going to show you. I'll post it on our Facebook page. And uh, you need to look at this because this is amazing proof of how reliable Scripture really is. Through history, there have been several times, numerous times, where people have said, this can't be real because it doesn't line up with history. One of those times, have you guys ever heard of a people called the Hittite people? Anybody? If you read through the Old Testament, you'll run across the Hittite people. For a long time, historians said, they never existed. They said those stories in Scripture were fabricated because we have never found proof of the Hittite people. Would you know that actually in 1906, they found the capital city of the Hittite people, and those scholars had to back up and say, oh, maybe they really did exist. Another example, if you look in Daniel chapter 5, it talks about a king named Belshazzar. Can you say Belshazzar? Don't name your kid Belshazzar. The historians for a long time would say, there's no way that's possible because we have record of another king ruling during that time. And so they said, you know, how reliable is Daniel if he doesn't even get the king right? So are all these things made up? Or are these just fables and myths? Would you know in 1956, in an archaeological dig, they found three stones that were inscribed on there? that the king during that time that historians pointed to went on a mass war exodus campaign, took a bunch of army with him 
to conquer different areas, and you know who he left in charge, according to this archaeological dig, according to history, whose scripture has said all along, Belshazzar. So history has not proven against scripture. In fact, as time has gone on, there's hundreds of examples where this has shown what really happened in history. Another example is science. I have some, some things here that the Bible actually says about science. Now, picture this. We're talking about something that was written 2,000 plus years ago. Some of this text was written almost 4,000 years ago. And this is what it says. You can find in Scripture where it talks about the conservation of mass and energy. You can find in Scripture where they talk about hydraulic cycle of evaporation. Some of you guys are like, huh? They talk about condensation and precipitation. It talks about gravity. They didn't know gravity existed. It talks about uh, a, a gravitational bounce group of stars. Actually, in Jeremiah, he says that the stars are in, in numerous. They're, 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 there's, uh, there's more than we can count. They're never ending. Did you know that historians over time, scientists over time, have tried to count the number of stars? And they just continually through history multiply at such a degree they're like I don't know how many there are how does a guy like Jeremiah know that if he's just writing what he sees if there is no divine interpretation to him of what to write other things that you find through here is uh, that there is an effect of emotions on physical health so all the psychologists that tell you that emotions will affect your physical health Guess what? The Bible said it a long time before then. They said uh, that uh, the spread of contagious disease happens by close contact. They didn't know that a long time ago. That, remember, they would drill in people's head, thinking that they could get out all the bad stuff. Aren't you glad you didn't live then? They, uh, they talk about in Scripture the importance of sanitation to health. You see, these things people didn't know when this was written. And so there had to be divine interpretation to the authors of what to write. Another interesting thing that you look at is the idea of prophecy through Scripture. There's actually eight, eight prophecies. I'll post a chart again on Facebook that shows all this. There's eight prophecies that center around just Jesus himself. Now, there's some 60-plus prophecies. I'll post that chart as well. But I just want to talk about the eight for a minute. Eight prophecies that focus around Christ that talk about how he would come into the city, how he would die, how he would be born. Have you, did you have a choice in how you were born, by the way? No, you didn't. Um, how he would be born, who would betray him, how they would betray him, what that money that was used in the betrayal would be used to buy. Those different prophecies, scientists have looked at the odds of that. And picture this. How many of you guys are from Texas? Anybody? Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. Um, if you take the state of Texas and you pile silver dollars throughout the entire state, two feet deep, and then you write on one of those silver dollars and throw it back into the pile, and you get a guy in here and blindfold him and say, go find the one I wrote on, the odds of him picking up the right one are the odds of those eight, just those eight prophecies coming true. You see, it is impossible for the things written in this book that tell of the future to actually come true unless it is written by God himself, authored by people that he divinely spoke to to author. I, I, I want to I I I tell you something here. I want to tell you the difference between possibility and probability, just for a second. I think this is hugely important in how we interpret things through our experiences. Something can be possible, but not probable, or probable, but impossible. Does that make sense? I'll say it again. You might want to write this down. Something can be possible, but not probable. So something can happen that is not probable. Okay? But something also can be probable, but impossible. Let me go on and explain to you for a second. What if one of you went to work tomorrow, okay? 
you went to work tomorrow and you're talking to a coworker and you said, oh yeah, I was at Awaken yesterday. And you know that annoying guy at work, that annoying guy or girl at work? Right now you guys all just got an image in your head. Let's pray, God will forgive you and then we'll move on. That annoying person comes up to you and they say, you weren't there yesterday. And you say, yeah, I was. I, I've got a program to show you. And they, you pull it out and you show them. You said, here, I was there. This, this, is, this was the program from yesterday. They said, it looks like you went to a balding clinic. You know, you went to uh, a hair for uh, help growing your hair or something, right? Because of the bald guy on the front. And, and then you say, no, I was really there. And you say, you, you explain to him, you say, well, I can tell you what happened, what, what the experience was all about and what we talked about. And you, and, and you go on to say to them, they say, no, I don't believe that's possible. I don't believe you were there. I think that somebody told you that afterwards. Just like I think the program that you got, somebody gave to you. And you say, no, no, seriously, I was there. So-and-so was there. We talked. And you call so-and-so over and they say, yeah, yeah, they were there. And, and the guy or the girl looks at you and uh, they say, no, I think they're lying. You see, the problem is that you can't observe the past in real time and repeat it, right? So you cannot take and observe the past in real time. You can only speak of the past through the memories that you have of the past, right? And the evidences that point to it. Now, is it, is it uh, possible that somebody gave you that program? Yes. Is it possible that somebody shared with you what we talked about this morning? Yes. Is it possible that so-and-so's lying? because we're full of compulsive liars, aren't we? No, I'm kidding. Um, is it possible that you weren't here because of those things? Yes. Is that probable? No, it's not probable, is it? That's not probable at all. Uh, another example. How many, I'm curious, you guys are gonna help me feel better. How many accidents did you guys have when you first started driving? One, anybody have one accident? All right. Anybody have two? Two accidents? Don't lie about this. God's watching. How many of you guys had three accidents? Three, okay. How many of you guys had four accidents when you first started driving? All right. I, I, I have four. Has anybody gone to five accidents when you first, oh my goodness. Wow, six? You know what's funny is he's the one that says I'm unsafe to drive. Um, I, I will say though, I'll make claim. Three of those four were not my fault. You guys are, yeah, right. Yeah. One of those accidents was I was driving home from college, and, uh, and a lady, you ever, you're driving down the road, and you're looking in your rearview mirror, and the person behind you is doing everything but paying attention to the road, right? You know, she's like checking her makeup in the mirror. She's playing with the radio. She's looking at her pager. Yes, I just dated myself. Um, she, she's doing everything but looking at the road in front of her. I re, have you ever had that, like, that intuition and you're just like, this lady's going to hit me? Anybody else? Yeah? I'm sitting there driving and I'm like, she's going to hit me. Well, I, I'm just focusing on the road in front of me. Well, some, I'll, I'll say it in this group, some idiot, a couple cars forward, they turned, put on their brakes and turned without their turn signal. Well, a bunch of us had to stop. The lady behind me didn't stop. All right, so she hit me. The, the officer gets on the scene. Would you believe that the officer blamed me for her hitting me? Now, he cited her. He wrote her the ticket, but I'm sitting in the cop car being reprimanded by this officer because this lady hit me. Now, is it possible that I, in a moment of rage, stopped the car, put it in reverse, and just rammed into her? Is that possible? Yeah, that's possible. Is it, you think it's probable, all right, all right. He knows me too well. Um, is it possible that I did what many of you already do and I did a brake check? Yeah, anybody brake check? Yeah, exactly. That's why you got six accidents. Um, is it possible, we'll go with six. Is it possible, think about it. Is it possible I put on my brakes, got a sledgehammer out of my trunk and went and beat on her car? Yeah, it's possible. Is it probable? No. What are the probabilities? What does the evidence point to? She hit me. Now, he was blaming me because she had a baby in her car. And the baby was fine. Now, my advice was, 
Get her off the road. Get her off the road, right? So the difference between possibility and probability, huge difference. And you can take and look at scripture and say, well, is it possible for some of these things to happen? Wow, I've never seen it. Do the evidences point to the probability of it happening? Absolutely. You can look at history. You can look at science. You can look at prophecy. You can look at the way scripture is laid out, where scripture came from, and say probability points to these things being real. You see, the problem is that we base probability on our experiences. Like, for instance, what if I told you I don't believe the Holocaust ever happened? <gasps> we, yes, we have museums that point to it. We have pictures that talk about it. We have books that, in history that read it, right? What if I told you I don't believe it happened? Because for that to happen, there had to be mass insanity. There had to be huge racial tension. There had to be all kinds of issues of that day. And I have never experienced, personally, I have never experienced that much racism, that much insanity, that much madness that impacts more than just one individual, but impacts a whole body of people. So I say, it never happened. You guys would say, I'm ridiculous. Right? What if I told you that in 9-11, I don't believe those firemen went up those steps. Because I have never found anybody that courageous. What if I told you I'm not that courageous, so therefore I don't believe anybody else could be that courageous? You guys would say you're an idiot. But you see, that's what we do with Scripture. We say that is impossible because my mama didn't witness it, and her mama didn't witness it, and her mama's mama didn't witness it, therefore it's not possible. That's exactly what we do with this book. We base it on our experiences because we live in a time where we question the supernatural. And we say, you know what, I'll take part of the book, but you know that part, Jesus walking on water? I've never seen it, so it didn't happen. Or I'll take that part of the book that says Jesus died on a cross, but that other part that says he rose again, I have never seen anybody raised from the dead. I don't believe it happened. I don't believe it's possible. You would call me asinine if I did that with the things in history that history points to as being probable, the evidences that we find. You would say, I'm ridiculous but we do the exact same thing with God's Word. All of these evidences point to the probability of it, but because we have never experienced some of those things, we say it's not possible. It is not logical sense to base the probability of something off of our experiences. It's not logical. There's another way that you can look at this book and you can talk about the powerfulness of this book. As we get there, I want you to look at this video clip because I want to move past the proof of the text into something else. Take a look at this, this uh, video.
we've looked at different historical and scientific probabilities. We, we've looked at that this book is just different, right? Uh, this book has 40 plus authors spanned over about 1600 to 1900 years that it was written. Is written in three different languages, I told you, on three different continents. But yet this book tells the same story spread out all that time. All those different authors, different languages in different places. So this book, we have to agree, is different. Oh, I want to show you a text. It's uh, Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12. And uh, it says, I'm reading the Amplified Version here, so it might be a little bit different than what you have there. But it all says the same. And it says, For the word that God speaks is alive and full of power, making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. It's saying that this word is effective. And then it goes on. It says it's not just effective and powerful. And any time you look in history... And it's amazing that how true that clip is. Anytime you look in history and see where this book was taken seriously, it changed the scope of history. And I would guess that in this room is full of people that if you were asked, has this book changed you in any way? You would say, it has. But if I would ask how many of you in this room were changed through the Twilight series... I'm guessing that would be a small minority and they'd probably throw you in the loony bin. So it says that this book is effective. But then it goes on and it says, it is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating to the dividing line of breath of life and the spirit. And it says the breath of life is the soul and the spirit is the immortal. And so it says that this book is so powerful, it takes and divides your, your, your physical being from your spiritual being. And then it goes on and it says, and it divides the joints and the marrow. Uh, I'm not a scientist, but I've been told that is virtually impossible to do. It goes on and it says, to the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and sifting and analyzing and judging the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. This verse alone is saying that this, that, that, that this book is powerful and effective. That it separates out. If you look through history, this book has been banned. It has been burned. People have been crucified and martyred for this book. This book has tried to be eradicated from countries, one of which is now the fastest growing church in the, in, in the world where this book has tried to be eradicated. This book has passed all through history. It is the best-selling book for like over 300 years when they started the list of best-selling books. There are billions of copies of this book. Now look at this. It doesn't just talk about that. Look at Hebrews 4.13. It continues on. It says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Jesus, the great high priest. This text is saying that you will stand naked before God one day because how powerful this book is. It will take and separate out the physical from the unphysical. The physical from, 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 from the spiritual. It will separate out the material from the immaterial. And it will divide out our true motives and our true desires. This book is powerful. And the evidence is seen in people's lives all the time. What other book does somebody die for? I'm not dying for Twilight. I might kill Twilight, but I'm not dying for Twilight. What other book do people get slaughtered for? What other book do people risk their lives for? There isn't one. What other book can the mass of people look at and say, that book changed my life? I want to show you something that's written in Scripture here. It says, uh, Matthew 17, 20. Jesus says this. He says, because you have so little faith, faith, 
because you have so little faith, I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. It says nothing will be impossible for you. Jesus says that if you just have a little bit of faith, you can move a mountain. Now, let me ask you, do you think Jesus was just being poetic? Do you think that Jesus was just using a illustrative genius? Or do you believe that he is saying that this book is so powerful that you can move mountains with it? My question is, what are the mountains that God wants to move in your life? What are those areas in your life that keep catching up to you? Because the, the proof of this book is changed lives. I don't do this for the money. I don't do this out of obligation. I do this because I've seen how these words change people's lives when they take and go from a place of reason to a place of faith and say, Jesus, if you're real, I want you to show me the power of this book. What are the mountains in your lives that God wants to move? What are the mountains in your lives that God wants to use you to move? I heard a simple phrase a couple weeks ago. You want to know how to grow? Listen and obey. Listen and obey. Listen and obey. Listen and obey. Two of the most powerful words you're going to ever hear. Because so many of us live lives that are so powerless. Because we don't want to pick this book up and let it saturate our being. Many of us look at this and say, I'm just confused. I did too at one time. And I said, God, if this is real, then you've got to speak to me. God did not fail. But I will say, I didn't fail either in my search. What are the mountains that God wants to change, that God wants to move in your life, that God wants to use you to move. It doesn't happen by just sitting here week in and week out. It happens by taking this book and saying, God, I need you to show me you're real. I need you to speak to me. God, that area that I need to grow in, I want you to help me grow. Growth doesn't happen by me just sitting and trying harder and going, you don't grow that way. You grow by picking this up and saying, God, I need you to separate. I need you to take my desires and my attentions and separate them out. God, I need you to go to the depths of who I am to help me to know the truth of your power and your grace and your mercy in my life. I plead with you because I know the reality of this book. And I'm learning the power of the mountains that God moves because of the words that he speaks through the authors that span a 2,000-year period of time, dating almost 4,000 years ago, and how the reliability of this book is more reliable than any other piece of literature we have down through the ages. We read books in history about Rome, and they have far fewer manuscripts that prove the authenticity of the history we read, but yet we take it as fact. And we disclaim this because it doesn't fit my little experience. But I tell you, I know that there are people here coming from all kinds of different places. I know there's people that enter into this room and say, I'm just trying to understand if this is real or fable or myth. I welcome you. This is a safe place for you to find and discover those things. 
Some of you have been reading this book for years, and it's time to listen and obey and then witness the power of the mountains that God wants to move in your life. The addictions, the path that keeps catching up, the areas of growth, how He wants to change our language, how He wants to change our thoughts, how He wants to change our direction happens because of the reading of this book. And I know we all enter again from different places. Different places. Different experiences. I I want you to hear this one thing. All of those other things that I mentioned point to the reliability of this text. Okay, history, science, manuscripts, all of those things point to the reliability of this. But I think there's one more thing that points to the reliability of that more powerfully than anything else. And that one thing is sitting in this room. It's through lives that have been changed. It's through people that have decided to say, God, I want to go from a place of reason to a place where I know though the probability of these evidences say it's true there's also a lot of impossibility here based upon my experiences but Lord I need to move from a place of reason to a place of faith and ask you to show me through my personal life how this book is true and how you change lives some of you are sitting in this room right I can't do anything more than I've already done and plead with you. Please take that step of going from reason to faith and say, God, I need you to speak to me through this book. God, I believe that this book, based upon the facts, is true. But God, I know I need to take another step of faith. And I plead with you to do that. As the band comes up, I'm going to pray. And maybe God is challenging you here this morning to say it's time to go from a place of reason to a place of faith. It's time to take that step and say, God, I need you to speak to me. Lord Jesus, I can hear all the evidences and all of Scripture. Lord Jesus, I can look at all the proof texts that I want. But Father, I have to be willing to take a step of faith. Lord, I want to experience this book for myself. I want to see you move mountains in my life. Lord, I want to see you move mountains through me. If you're sitting here this morning and God is weighing on you to say it is time to go from a place of reason to a place of faith, The one thing, keep your heads down, eyes closed. The one thing that we have to understand is the enemy does not read your mind. But he knows your voice and he knows your actions. And so I encourage you to take a stronghold in your life. Force the enemy out. And if that's you here this morning who are saying, I need to go from a place of reason to a place of faith. If you're saying, I need to take and believe, Lord, that you are true and walk in relationship with you, Jesus. If that is you here this morning, I encourage you to slip your hand up. Not for me, but to tell the enemy. Thank you. Thank you. To tell the enemy that you're you're saying, I'm moving from a place of logic and reason to a place of faith. That I am saying, I need to go, not just come in here each week but into a relationship where I say, Jesus, you are real. I believe that you change lives. I want you to change my life. Anybody else? Let the enemy know here this morning that he has not taken any more ground in your life. That today it ends and a new beginning begins. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? 
Lord Jesus. Thank you again. Your word is alive and active. Lord Jesus, thank you for changing my life. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the evidences through my life and through the lives of people in this room. Jesus, help us to pick your word up. Learn to understand what you say. Search after you, Lord. You say that you give us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. You give us a hunger and a thirst for you. Lord, give us that hunger and thirst and help us, Lord, to run hard after you, to read your word that is alive and real and separates and pierces the heart. Lord Jesus, help us to listen and to obey. To listen and to obey. And Lord, the mountains that you want to move in our lives, I pray that you would make that real to us. Not by us trying harder, but really, Lord, by us releasing to you and letting your word penetrate our lives. Thank you.